Welcome to Shabbat Shalom. This is your host, Sam Frankart, and this is episode 52. So I want to say right up front that I am in a hotel in Kathmandu, Nepal, and I'm on the fifth floor, and the level right above me is the roof. And on the roof is the washing machine. And so I've been waiting for the last 45 minutes or so to record this. And I'm really hoping that the laundry machine is done. So I apologize in advance if you hear any rumblings. Um, It's been on and off. So I hope that it's done and I hope that it is not distracting as I record this episode. So today we are studying Revelation 16. And this is a third of three sets of judgments. The first came from the seals in Revelation 6, 1 through 8, 5. Then the trumpet starting in 8, 6 through 11, 19. And finally the bulls, 16, 1 through 21. So these bull judgments are similar to the trumpet judgments in that they affect every part of the world. These judgments also reenact the plagues of Egypt as recorded in Exodus 7 through 12. The Egyptian plagues have the same purpose as the bulls, to prove to the world that God is all-powerful. So we're going to rock through this chapter. Like Revelation 14, this is a longer chapter, so we might be running into a longer podcast today. So let's start reading. And I will be reading straight through the chapter, and it's easier to track along if you're reading with me in your Bible. So if you don't have it, pause this audio, grab your Bible, and we'll get started. Revelation 16, starting in verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood, like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed are those who stay awake and keep their clothes on, so that they may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. 
The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since the human race has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. So verse 1 starts off with John saying that he heard a loud voice from the temple. And since no one could enter the temple, as we read about at the end of Revelation 15, this loud voice from the temple must be God himself, who personally initiates the judgment of the bulls. The outpouring of these bulls seems to happen in rapid succession, with one happening right after the other, but the effects of each seem to linger. For example, with the first bull, those with the mark of the beast receive festering sores. And then when we get to the fifth bull, the people are still dealing with the sores along with the sunburns that they received during the fourth bull. So while the first bull doesn't compare to the first trumpet, it does align with one of the plagues in Egypt. In Exodus 9, 10 through 11, there's a plague of boils. Before we get to the next bowl, let's have a quick talk about the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. If you're not familiar with these terms, that's okay. I'm here to explain. So those who subscribe to the pre-trib or pre-tribulation theory assert that because the believers have already been raptured, those who become believers after the rapture will still be on earth, but will be protected from these bowls and plagues. An example of pre-tribulation theory in the modern media is the Left Behind series. There's a book series as well as a video series all called Left Behind, and the series really popularized the idea of pre-tribulation. Then there's mid-trib or the mid-tribulation theory. This, is, this one says that just before these universal plagues hit, the believers are raptured so that only people left on earth at this point are unbelievers. Oh, we don't have any modern media that represents this, and I'm not sure where this theory came from other than those who are super hopeful that we won't have to be here during this time. Finally, there's post-trib or post-tribulation. Those who subscribe to post-trib theory, they say that the believers are still on earth and that are going to, they're going to be going through this difficulty. But even as the plagues hit, believers will be protected by the seal of Christ that they've received back in Revelation 7.3 as well as the promise of protection received in Revelation 3.10. One organization that subscribes to post-tribulation theory is Frontier Alliance International, and I've talked about them before. They're the ones who released ballads of the Revelation that I've referenced in earlier episodes. They have an app called FAI, which stands for Frontier Alliance International, and Dalton Thomas shares Bible studies on the post-tribulation theory as well as the others. And his study, it's also available on YouTube, and it's super informative and in-depth. So I'll include a link to that study in the show notes if you'd like to learn more. All right, continuing on in verse 3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. 
During the second trumpet, a third of the water of the sea became blood, killing a third of the sea creatures. This time, the entire sea turned to blood, killing everything in it. At the time of John's writing, the Roman Empire lived by sea trade, and much of their food came from the sea. This type of judgment would devastate civilization, and the third bowl is going to exacerbate it even further. So the third bowl, the rivers and springs, became blood. When these judgments come, the time must be very short until the return of Jesus. The human race can't survive long with the water gone. Verses 5 through 7 are an interchange of an angel with the altar. So I'm going to read that for us. Verses 5 through 7. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were, the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So the angel says that the Lord is just, is righteous in these judgments. Even in the midst of these judgments, it's right for the angel to say this. Not only is God's justice fair, it's appropriate. It's completely fitting that those who delighted in shedding the blood of the saints should now be forced to drink blood. And then in verse 7, the altar responds. And this seems like a strange thing to read, and David Guzik's commentary explains it. He wrote that this voice is either an angel speaking from the altar or the altar personified, representing the corporate testimony of the martyrs that we read about in Revelation 6-9, and the prayers of the saints in Revelation 8-3-5. And as always, I have a link to his commentary in the show notes for you. In verses 8 and 9, the fourth bowl is poured out and the sun scorches people with fire. As we've talked about before on the podcast, fire is a common theme for judgment in the Bible. We can find examples of this in Deuteronomy 28-22, Luke 16-24, and 1 Corinthians 3-13. At the end of verse 9, we're told a specific detail. The people on earth refused to repent and glorify God. The reason for this phrase is to show the complete depravity of the people left on earth. They had completely rejected God. All right, moving on to the fifth bowl. So actually the fifth, sixth, and seventh bowls all deal with Armageddon. The fifth angel poured out the fifth bowl on the throne of the beast. And we also read in this verse that the beast's kingdom was plunged into darkness. Some see this as symbolic darkness, with the kingdom of the beast being overturned with internal anarchy. But it isn't necessary to see this darkness as symbolic. The ninth plague on Egypt was literal darkness. And it could be that this is a scientific phenomenon, that after the flaring up of the sun with the fourth bowl, the sun burns itself out and goes dark. We don't know for certain what this means. We do know that whether this is physical, spiritual, or political, this darkness caused great anguish among the people of the earth. Yet, the same phrase from verse 9 is repeated. They refused to repent. They knew that God existed, but they decided that they hated him and cursed him. We read about the sixth bowl in verses 12 through 16. So when the angel, the sixth angel pours out the sixth bowl, the great river Euphrates dried up. 
The Romans considered the Euphrates River to be a secure barrier, like a natural protective boundary against invasion from the empires of the East. And in that day, it was about 1,800 miles long and anywhere from 300 to 1,200 yards wide. If the Euphrates were dried up and made a road, massive armies from the east, with nations including China, India, and Japan, could move westward with ease. Then we read something really bizarre in verse 13. John writes, Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Frogs? Why frogs? According to Leviticus 11, 10 through 11, frogs were unclean animals in Jewish kosher law. We're told that these frogs, or demonic spirits, performed signs. And once again, signs and wonders are used by demons as a tool of deception. So what was the purpose of the signs and wonders? We read in verse 14 that it was to gather the world for battle. This battle is not nation against nation, but the nations against God. And we're told that the battle will happen, quote, on the great day of God Almighty, end quote. The winner of this battle is apparent. It is the great day of God, not the great day of man, not the great day of the Antichrist, or not the great day of the dragon. So verse 15 comes in the midst of the description of this coming battle, and it kind of seems out of place. So I'm going to read it and then dig into it a little bit. So verse 15 says, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed are those who stay awake and keep their clothes on, so they may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. So this is the third of seven Beatitudes in Revelation. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are watching for me. The first two Beatitudes are located in Revelation 1-3 and 14-13. And this here is a warning to the Christian to be prepared in light of Jesus' assured victory. We know from different places in the New Testament that Jesus will come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. Believers who are still on earth must be on their guard, watching, morally and spiritually prepared, with their clothing ready. So what does this part mean about keeping their clothes on? So garments, they're a picture of spiritual and practical righteousness. We are given the righteousness of Jesus as a garment, and we read about that in Galatians 3.27. But we're also called to put on the nature of Jesus in terms of practical holiness, and that's in Ephesians 4.20-24. Above all, we must not be naked, that is, without a covering, or trying to provide our own covering like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.7. So if this is a call to be ready, how can we prepare ourselves? The two things that seem to align with this verse are to prepare ourselves by resisting temptation and by being committed to God's moral standards. And this requires discernment. We must avoid spiritual apathy and laziness. When we focus on living for God and serving Him rather than living for ourselves and fulfilling our own desires, we're preparing ourselves for Jesus' return. In verse 16, we're told that the kings are gathered together for the battle of Armageddon. Then, in verse 17, the angel, the seventh angel, poured out the seventh bowl. When the bowl is poured out, a voice from the throne says, It is done. History was finished. The end had come. With this bowl, God's wrath was complete. 
Following this announcement are flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. In verse 19, we read that the great city split into three parts. And in Revelation, the phrase, the great city, refers to Babylon the Great, which is both an evil city and an immoral empire. The city's division into three parts symbolizes complete destruction. The fall of Babylon is explained in more detail in upcoming chapters, chapters, I think, 17 and 18. Verse 20 says, Every island fled away, and the mountain could not be found. The mountains, plural, could not be found. The earthquake will be so severe that every island will disappear. Other earthquakes have occurred in Revelation, but this one, this will be the last and the worst. All right, so we'll finish out the chapter with verse 21. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. We see throughout the Old Testament that hail is frequently a tool of judgment against God's enemy, as seen in, in, with Egypt in Exodus 9.24, with the Canaanites in Joshua 10.11, and Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38.22. In each of these instances, hail rained down from heaven as a tool of judgment, not as a corrective chastisement of God's own kids. Yet, despite all their suffering, many will still not repent. All right, so I'm going to finish out the podcast with a quote from Charles Spurgeon regarding the lack of repentance that we see repeated throughout this chapter. He writes, I have known people say, Well, if I were afflicted, I might be converted. If I lay sick, I might be saved. Oh, do not think so. Sickness and sorrow of themselves are no helps to salvation. Pain and poverty are not evangelists. Disease and despair are not apostles. Look at the lost in hell. Suffering has effected no good in them. He that was filthy here is filthy there. He that was unjust in this life is unjust in the life to come. There is nothing in pain and suffering that, by their own natural operation, will tend to purification. Well, that's all we have for today. Check out the show notes for a link to a commentary from David Guzik on Revelation 16, as well as a link to Dalton Thomas's YouTube study and other commentaries. You can find me on Instagram at Sam Frankard. Until then, Shabbat Shalom, Maranatha.